Mm-hmm. He's combating the empty routine that people are so drawn to because they can feel like they did all the right things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's trying to engage people's hearts, and in order to do that, he has to get rid of all their routines. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are your friends and mine. Let's start with Karen. What? Oh, hello. Yeah, hi, it's hey. you. <laughs> and Amy. Hello. And fresh off the roads with his young son, Tracy. Good evening. Good evening. <laughs> <laughs> the nerves are shot. He's frazzled. <laughs> if he sounds a little harrowed during the episode, that's why, because his son is driving. <laughs> that's always so much fun. Oh. So much fun. And my brains are utter mush right now because I have been studying fairly nonstop for my uh, master electrician's test. And so I have equations swimming through my brain and code references swimming through my brain. And I'm going to be so glad when this part is done because then I never have to take that test again. Maybe I'll never have to take any test ever again. And that would be awesome. I would like that a lot. I don't, I don't, uh, I, I don't, uh, I don't know what I was going to say there. So we'll just move on. You have a little tech anxiety. <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah, a little. I don't know if it's, it's not, I, yeah, it's a little bit of test anxiety. It is, it's just a whole lot of having to study at a level that I haven't had to study at for a very long time. Relearning things that I sort of knew, but never really had to apply. And it's the funny thing about, the master electrician test is so much of the stuff. It's just things that I would rarely ever use really. I mean, in the, in, in the, in the land of electrical that I, that I'm in, um, I don't, I don't need to know really a lot of the things that are in there, but I don't know. It's making me, I guess it's making me better and it's helping me to know the job better. So that's good. It's not all for the right to have people call you master. (laughs) Uh, well you know in my my classroom at the church somebody who's uh, the other person's wife here uh uh, she decorated the room for me and she put a sign right on the door says master jedi so um nice that is not what you earn after you take this exam you do not become a master jedi Hey, hey, now listen, I've already, I, I go to the grocery store and I wave my hand and the door opens for me. So I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but oh, it's, it will be so nice just to have that done. And I, of course, I've waited to the last minute to do it, but which is usually how I get things done. So, um, you know, but yeah, I, uh, I, 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 I feel for those of you who have been studying for for degrees and whatnot. Uh, I mean, this is sort of the, the the equivalent of a degree. There's a lot of hands on experience and uh, and such. Maybe not a maybe not a master's degree, but, you know, <laughs> I, I would say probably equivalent to. Uh, no, you're uh, on the top of your field. Take it. Well, that's true. OK, I will. Fly the flag. Hey, if I you will it, fly it. You you may all call me whatever level echelon of high level uh, 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 ranking you would like to call me. <laughs> I always say this: nobody calls me doctor in this house 
unless I'd done something wrong. Uh oh. Then that's when the full titles come out. <laughs> well, see, there, here we go. If I do something wrong and my wife calls starts calling me master, I'll be like, um, okay. <laughs> you, you take it with a smile on your face. <laughs> right, right. Oh, okay. Well, we're off the rails already. <laughs> well, let's let's get into our discussion on this uh, Tuesday evening, which is rare for us because my computer was being stupid on Sunday morning. So we are recording on a rare Tuesday evening, but that's actually a rare Tuesday evening when we're all here. I'm not sure we're always all here on a Tuesday evening. So, so yay for that too. Anyway, we are picking up in John chapter 7, which we last time started in. And the context of this is that Jesus ha- is, has found himself at the Festival of Booths in Jerusalem after he had told his brothers that he wasn't going to go, but then he kind of went in secret. We had some interesting discussion about who Jesus' brothers are and what their relationship to Jesus was. Was it a biological half-brother type thing? Is it a stepbrother, older thing as being children of Joseph before he married Mary? It really wasn't that important, but it does make an interesting uh, discussion concerning their the way they're relating to Jesus in that being that um, they don't seem to believe in him. They seem to be challenging him when they're telling him to go to Jerusalem. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's not really being done in a helpful manner. It's more of like a, well, if you're so great, then you should be doing something. But so Jesus tells him he's not going to go, but then he does. But, um, as he's in Jerusalem, he's, he's challenging, like he always does. He's challenging the Pharisees, uh, perspective on the law. They're constant. They're out there. They want to kill him. Uh, the people are, are noticing Jesus. And the, 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 the Pharisees specifically are always at Jesus for not keeping the law in the way they think he should. And he comes right back at them and basically he says, well, you don't even keep the law the way Moses gave it to you. So why are you coming down on me so hard um, for, for, for doing what I do? And so when we pick up here at about cha- uh, verse 25 then, we have some people in Jerusalem who are taking notice of all of this, as usually happens in these sort of situations. And some of them are saying, they're, they're seeing Jesus, and they're going, isn't this the guy that our higher-ups are trying to kill? But they're saying, look, he speaks boldly and openly, and they don't actually do anything. And then they say, do they know that he actually is the Christ? And I don't know, that's that whole scenario sort of gives me a smile on my face because this all seems like conspiracy theory 101. It's sort of like, what does the government actually know? And what are they doing? What are they covering up? What are they trying to hide in wanting to kill Jesus? And as happens often, maybe not all the time, it sort of turns out that the conspiracy theory in this case is sort of true. It is sort of like... Why do they want to kill him? What has he done that's so bad? What are they trying to hide? What are they covering up? What do you What do you guys think of that? I know I know some of you like the conspiracy theories, and does this feel like a conspiracy theory situation to you? I like the banter back and forth. Yeah. Well, you're not doing it. Well, you know what? Neither are you. Right. <laughs> you know, it's almost like who's going to cast the first stone? It's like, uh, let me just start scribbling here on the ground to let you know exactly where you stand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Jesus, 
you know, I like the banter, you know, and it's, it's, you know, in a way, well, not in a way it's putting them in their place. Yeah. And it, you know, that's the sort of thing we kind of see a lot of times too, is, is very often the people that are, as they say, if you're pointing a finger, you got three pointing back at you. As often is the case, you see that people who cry the hardest and loudest about something, uh, so often it ends up being that they're guilty of the very thing that they're that they're screaming out about, which you know really is the, is the case here because these guys are are they're really not keeping that law, and the well, people. I mean, the typical way that this sort of era of society was off track is that they were observing the letter of the law but not the heart of the law mm-hmm. and they were kind of missing the point and and it, this is the case here too because like in verse 24 coming up on right where we're starting it says stop judging by mere appearances mm-hmm. instead judge correctly like stop stop glancing and judging like that's that quick glance summary judgment you know, like, oh, I saw. No, you didn't. You didn't pay attention for even a half a second. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't see what was actually happening. You kind of saw what you wanted to see. You, yeah. you, you, you looked long enough to confirm what you thought was happening, mm-hmm. and which is called confirmation bias. And then you started shouting about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you didn't. You didn't watch long enough to see what the outcome was. But you, you. And, and to the point then where they want to start, you know, they want to kill Jesus so that nobody really can see what the outcome is. Because, you know, I sus- I kind of think that they did know. You know, when the people are starting to ask, what do these guys know? I, I do think that a lot of them really did know who Jesus was. Maybe they didn't know that he was, you know, a deity, that he was God himself. But uh, it, I, I don't know. They knew that there was something going on there and they didn't want to they didn't want to lose their position in order to allow Jesus to take his I, I thought it was interesting that in verse 30 it says then they sought to take him but no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come mm-hmm. so it, that's just interesting in terms of the fact that he's you know he's very much under God's protection or he is himself in control of this situation in spite of their intentions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nothing's going to happen here until it's supposed to happen. And, you know, I mean, that's a phrase, too, that Jesus was using to to justify not going when he was talking to his brothers. It's not my time. I'm not, you know, it's this isn't the time. But, uh, yeah, not the time now. So he, he was able to be bold and, and uh, not really have to worry about it, um, knowing how it was all going to play out, what was going to happen and when it was going to happen. Now, the people say, but we know where he comes from. We aren't supposed to know. Uh, and I, you know, when I was reading that, I was thinking, but don't they know the prophecy about Bethlehem? Don't they know that? I mean, we know that some of them say that he was supposed to come from Bethlehem. So it's a little odd for me to hear them say, and I'm, I'm taking by them in this case, I'm thinking it's probably more the common people, not the Pharisees speaking here. When they're saying we don't know where he's supposed to come from, uh, I'm thinking didn't they know that he was supposed to be from Bethlehem? I wonder, too, though, if it was just, you know, maybe the Pharisees and the Sadducees that only, you know, were, I hate to say privy to that information, but maybe didn't disseminate it above among the common folk. Because, you know, the way it was kind of set up is 
you know, they made the rules. They were kind of giving out the information. Yeah, that happens a lot um, and probably did there, too. I mean, I, I know a lot of the, you know, the young boys specifically, though, were they had to. Well, I think back then, maybe it wasn't the same way back then. I think it maybe is now, but they had to be able to memorize and recite a certain amount of the Torah. Um, but I guess maybe the Torah itself didn't really say Beth. I don't remember. I don't remember. I'm showing my ignorance on that right now. I feel like that is important because the way the synagogue worked was everyone met there and they read the scriptures out loud. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot different than like the medieval church. Right. But I, I don't think it's like people had copies in their home, though. And so probably like maybe like Tracy is saying, the Pharisees had a little more access and then they maybe weren't as open in their teaching about it, especially at a time when when they've got a guy who, uh, you know, really is fitting all the all the um, descriptors that that would make him uh, make him the Messiah. But uh, Jesus must be overhearing this because he says, well, you know me and you know where I'm from but you don't know the one who sent me. He is true. I know him because he sent me. So that's a little bit of, uh, it seems like a little bit of, you know, back off you guys, because you don't know me. And then he, or or you do know me, but you don't know the father. You don't know God. Uh, And that's quite the uh, accusation to make against these, these religious elites telling them that they don't know God. Uh, when, you know, like we just said, they have been studying scripture. They have been um, the ones trying to tout the law and make sure everybody is is towing that line. And then for Jesus to turn right around and tell them, no, nah, you guys, you, you, you don't you don't know God. Yeah, that's pretty rough. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily like somebody coming up to me and saying that I don't even consider myself an elite, you know, but as somebody who does study now and then and tries to share. Um, for somebody who came to me and said, you don't know God, I would be taken a bit aback. But, yep, as as Amy pointed out, the leaders are wanting to kill Jesus, but they can't at this point. And it says that many believed in him, and they say, who could do more than we've seen Jesus do? So the people are paying attention. The people are seeing Jesus. They've been seeing the healings. They've been seeing the miracles, uh, probably, you know, you don't have 9,000 plus people be fed with a teeny tiny little bit of bread and fish uh, and have that happen twice and word doesn't get around. So people have been seeing Jesus and seeing what he does and they're kind of going, this guy's maybe got to be the Messiah because how could anybody do more than this guy? Well, my favorite sentence is the one right before that in verse 30 says at this they tried to seize him but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come so every once in a while i like a reminder that god's in control because from down here it looks like a lot of chaos sometimes (laughs) i like what karen said at that point you know because even though it was swirling in chaos around him it still says that you know what there was the ultimate protection that you know what the the job is not done he still has a mission, and nobody's going to interrupt that that mission right now, no matter what's going on. I want to know what stopped him. Like, what stopped him? Divine protection. Yeah, 
That's an interesting question, Karen. What stopped them? I mean, yes, we say divine protection, but what did that look like? What what happened that made it so they couldn't do it? I mean, these are the guys in charge. All they got to do is, well, I guess we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But, you know, you send somebody to do what you say and they're supposed to do it. And nobody can arrest Jesus. You know, I think there was one time where Jesus literally just walked through a crowd while everybody was trying to get to him. I think they were trying to throw him off a cliff, if I remember right. And he just he just walked in away. Nazareth, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was in Nazareth. Yeah, and he just walked away. What does it look like here? He's it. He's in Jerusalem at a time of the festival. You would assume that security is going to be up. You know, if if the if what is it Herod at this time? I suppose. Yeah, you know, if he's doing his job, you know, you should. You know that a bunch of people are going to be coming into town who aren't usually there. You put a few more boots on the street to make sure that you know peace is kept. And um, you know if they're in cahoots, if he's in cahoots with the Pharisees and such, you know it should have been basically nothing to arrest Jesus, but they can't. They can't do it, and it's it is a very interesting thing to consider. Why? What happened? What kept happening that kept making it so that Jesus could not be arrested even though he's right there in front of everybody not really trying to hide at that point he's uh he's he's just there doing his thing well and okay so we're all way smaller and less important than jesus that you know that's easily that's like a solid fact right there but god has a plan for each one of our lives and so i like the fact that it doesn't matter what I'm staring down or what's coming at me. Only what's in God's will is going to happen. Yeah, that is a comforting thought. Doesn't always mean that the moment is going to be nice, but the ultimate outcome we have assurance will be. So the Pharisees do send some guys after Jesus. So they're, they're hearing the crowds. They're hearing what they're saying. They send some, some, uh, some guys after Jesus. And Jesus kind of responds with, it's a bit of a, almost like a riddle. It sounds kind of like a riddle where he's just sort of says, I'll be here a little while before I go to him who sent me. Then you'll seek me and not find me because you can't go there. That has some little, little, uh, nuance of, of a riddle of try to figure out what I'm saying. And they're kind of confused by that. It's like, what is it? What is it? What does he mean? We can't go where he's going. What, how, how could that possibly be that we can't go where he's going to go? And they're like, is he, is he going to go to the Greeks and, and, and treat, teach them or teach the Jews? How do they put it? The go among the, uh, the dispersion as they call it, you know, and, and with the, with the Jews that are there, is he going to teach them? You know, they don't, they don't, they don't understand it. They don't understand what he's saying. Uh, and that's kind of interesting because really, I mean, everything that you would need to know is right there in the phrase. And as we look back on it, we know exactly what he's saying. Of course, you're not going to be able to follow me as I, as I ascend to the father, uh, you, you might look around for me. You're going to probably see evidence of me, but you can't get to me. It's just sort of funny. It's funny to me the way he just, just responds in, in that fashion with sort of a riddle that just leaves them perplexed they can't they can't grasp it they don't understand it makes me wonder sometimes you know when we think about that do we sell jesus short by our expectations of him you know they're thinking of him as a man they're thinking of him as 
a bit of a troublemaker. Um, and they, you know, if they were understanding him for who he really was, they might have grasped the idea that he's going to ascend. He's going to, he's going, he's, he's bigger than they could possibly imagine. And he's going to ascend to something that they can't attain, but they're selling him short because they only think of him as a man. And it makes me wonder sometimes how often do we sell Jesus short? Because we don't stop to think about who he really is, what he's capable of in our lives. Uh, does our faith, you know, fall short sometimes because we don't, we, we don't really consider the nuances, the, well, not even the nuances, just how how great he really is. How much more of our lives might be uh, going in a different direction if our faith was able to grasp just how big Jesus is. I suspect maybe we would see we would see our lives play out in a very different fashion than they do sometimes. I think a lot of the unimportant stuff, which is most stuff, would just disappear off our radar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't worry about things. The the day to day mundane um, wouldn't wouldn't frighten us so much. Wouldn't uh, wouldn't annoy us so much. We'd just be like, oh, okay, well we'll get that. Distract, oh, yeah. Even distract us so much. Like I think we would just stay focused. Mm-hmm. John, this is John who's doing the writing here. He says in uh, he talks about the last day of the feast. He calls it that great day. That how did he put it? Let me look, let me look that up here real quick. The last um, and greatest day. Yeah, the last or and greatest New day. King James says New King James says on the last day, that great day of the feast. Mm-hmm. And so that phrase caught my attention. I was wondering, what does he mean by that great day? Is it great because it's the last day of the feast? Of you know, is it like this the culmination? You know, is it sort of like as we count down to Christmas and oh, it's finally here? That kind of thing. Um, is it great because of what happens next in what Jesus is saying here? Um, I was a little curious of what what made him call it that great day. It just uh, it, it it intrigued me. I wish I knew more about the feast. I guess because you know, is it is it like the big the biggest day of the feast or what? But it seems like maybe he's talking about what Jesus says here. Well, I'm embarrassed to say that didn't catch my eye, but I also, now that you're saying it, I'm thinking about the fact that, you know, last time we talked about the fact that, you know, there is a reference here to when God will dwell with the people. Like Mm -hmm. there is a sense in Revelation where we finally understand that God wants to live with us. So I wonder, I mean, I don't know if if that's anything to do with what we're talking about. But since it is the Feast of Tabernacles, I would say yes, because he intends to tabernacle with us. Like, he wants to live with us. Mm-hmm. There's a piece of me that kind of thinks that John is saying it specifically because of this announcement that Jesus makes at this point. Because, yes, like you just said, this Feast of Tabernacles, it's all about God's taking care of them during their wandering in the wilderness um it's you know the living in the tents is a reference to that time and then for jesus on the last day to come out and say if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink he who believes in me as the scripture has said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water and when he says this john points out that jesus stands up to say this 
And normally that wouldn't catch my attention, but I just happened to look at a note. Usually when teachers were teaching, they were sitting and people would gather. But Jesus stood up to make this bold announcement. I'm guessing he's probably at the temple at some point. You know, maybe he's on the front steps or sort of thing. Um, And he makes this statement that is very, very similar to what he said to the woman at the well, to the Samaritan woman. Mm -hmm. It is. I can give you water and you will never be thirsty again. And so, you know, if you think about what he's saying here, and then you place it into the context of the of the festival being in the wilderness and thinking of the times when they were they didn't have any water, and God told Moses to hit the rock, and the water comes from the rock. That to me is clearly a reference, or or a foreshadowing then of this now. Uh, mm-hmm literal water versus now what john tells us is the holy spirit so i'm just looking on a historical you know jewish theology site here so it says the last day of the seven day long sukkot feast of tabernacle celebration known as the last great day in hebrew hashana as in Hoshana, H-O-S-H-A-N-A, Hoshana Rabbah. On this day, a joyous festival occurred called the water pouring ceremony, where the Jews prayed for rain for the upcoming agricultural season, resulting in a bountiful harvest. These rains were referred to as the former and the latter rains, fall and spring, and were necessary to bring the crops to fruition. The Jewish people always believed that these rains were prophetic of a great outpouring of the set-apart spirit that would occur during the Messianic age. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. So during the water-pouring ceremony, the Jews would joyously joyously sing Isaiah 2-2, Behold, El is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord, Yah, Yehovah, is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation, Yeshua. It, doesn't that just blow your mind, though, that they, they were doing this over and over, and then when it's right in front of their face, they miss it? <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, they were always looking for something literal. And isn't that just crazy, though? You you know, when you yeah. look back at it, you I, know, granted, hindsight is twenty twenty. you know, given that. But look at how we were going, you know, with living water and how we talked to the woman at the well and how water was the focus, you know, during the exodus. And it was living water. It, it actually sustained them and kept them alive when they were, let's just call it parched in the desert. But mm-hmm. they miss it. They miss the spiritual water. Mm hmm. I don't think it's any different than it is now, although, like, the way I read the way the earth winds up towards the end of the world before the second coming, people go blind again. And I assume it's for the same reason that it happened the first time around that the Messiah came. They were so caught up in the noise that was right in front of them and their immediate temporal problems that they couldn't recognize that spiritual salvation was what they actually needed 
and it was going to look different than salvation from their day-to-day issues. And if, I mean, if anybody's read the Matthew 24s and the revelations and the stuff like that, where it talks about all the stuff that goes wrong at the end of the world, it's going to get really, really messy. And it, I mean, it, it, it says over and over in different ways, there's, that there's going to be a crying out for a reading of the tr- a true reading of the word that people's hearts will be darkened that your people's ears will be stopped that their eyes will be blind that nobody's going to see or hear or understand and that the devil's going to be working overtime oh my goodness like i don't know if it's going to be any different mm-hmm. or do you guys think humans have improved over the last few thousand years am i am i cynical <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I think you're, I think you're spot on. (laughs) I think you have a valid point. And I think we could, you know, we see it in the day to day, just how we treat each other and, you know, and how we become, basically it says we're going to become lukewarm as well. And I think just in that you miss things, Mm -hmm. you miss what's right in front of you. Yeah. As we, as we are looking for the literal, as we're looking for the, what do I do things? If we're looking for the, how do I, you know, questions to be answered and you miss the relationship, you miss the heart aspect of it. Um, and as John is pointing out here, the spirit aspect of it. Uh, yeah. If you miss those things, you're going to miss the point. And John points out that Jesus is talking about the Holy spirit because he says, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, that concept always baffles me a little bit, saying the Spirit was not yet given. Because I'm thinking, how is it that the Spirit was not there? I mean, the Spirit is God. The Spirit is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. How is it that the spirit was not there in the way that he was after Jesus's death, resurrection, and ascension. It's it's a fascinating concept. So I don't have the answer. I just want to say that I affirm what you're saying because my mind jumped back to some pretty cool Old Testament stories, and Elijah especially comes to mind. And I think, well, clearly the spirit was there. So I found that baffling also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so the only thing I can, t- uh, the only thing I can understand about it must be that the spirit was just started working in a different way after Jesus's ascension. Because yeah, you read those old things, old things, those Old Testament passages, and it seems very clear that the Holy Spirit is working, is there with the people, is doing things. But as you read some of these New Testament passages and the people have an utter lack of understanding of even some of the most simple things put right in front of them that then they're able to expand on after Jesus leaves, when the Holy Spirit is here. uh, um, That aspect of him opening our eyes. Yeah. Yeah, a huge part of it. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I mean, you know, when we get into the writings of Paul and stuff, and we'll start to understand this better, of the understanding that the Holy Spirit dwells within us, and we are then the tabernacle. Um, I can't even explain that now. We'll let Paul explain that when we get there. But 
but how that doesn't seem to be the case at this point when we're reading. And so when Jesus is speaking to people, they're like, hmm, what does he mean? Well, I don't get it. How does that, you know? And and later on, those things start to start to wake up in their heads. And like, oh, I get that now. I can explain that now. I can, I, I, I'm going along with that. Um, it's just, it's such a, I don't know, the Holy Spirit, I was talking with somebody, I don't know, it was a couple weeks ago, but it, it, how a lot, it seems like a lot of the Christian church is a little bit afraid, maybe, to embrace the Holy Spirit. We don't quite know, maybe we don't quite know how to embrace the Holy Spirit. Um, and I wonder why that is. Well, I guess maybe we like things we can touch and see and taste and feel. And, and I think we like known quantities better than we know unknown quantities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I just wonder: do we? You know, when we, I'm thinking, it just I'm just you know thinking off the cuff out loud here. But you know, when we teach our kids how to pray, like here in our house, we teach we taught the boys to say "Dear Jesus" because you know it was simple. We can point to we can point to stories of Jesus. They get a, they grasp a concept of Jesus. How often do we pray to the Holy Spirit? I mean, have mm-hmm. how often have you specifically made a prayer to the Holy Spirit? Some people would almost have an issue with that, and I wonder, should we? You know, in theory, he should be the one closest to us. Because he's right there with us at all times, guiding us, helping us with our thoughts, helping us perceive things correctly, uh, you know, keeping us from, we get confused in this life and his presence can make that, you know, very different where we can Mm -hmm. really truly see what's going on for real. So we don't get caught up in anything too strange, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a perception thing. Yeah, but yeah. So that just is a it's a it's a concept that is so interesting to me, and I think it I think it probably I, I suppose it's one of those things that a person could spend a lifetime studying on and and under trying to understand how the how the Holy Spirit works so differently now from from before. Well, or if he actually does. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I don't know, and maybe it's only our perception of it too. Maybe, I don't know, maybe something in seeing Jesus, you know, be sacrificed and, and, and resurrected, you know, maybe something in that opens up our eyes and, and, and then the spirit is able to work through us in a way where it wasn't before. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but it's just is, it's fascinating to see John looking back, you know, as we said, science is 2020, John looking back and realizing that Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. This is what's flowing from Jesus. This is what's going to, or will flow from each of us. That's really what he was saying. If we believe in Jesus, then that water um, will flow from us. So um, so there's that to consider, too, where we're a part of this, pe- we're a piece of this puzzle. We're a piece of the, you know, a, a piece of the picture in this. And that's a fascinating thing to be invited into that. To be invited into that sharing of the spirit as we as we let it flow and as we believe in Jesus. It is fascinating. And we find we're told here that many began to believe in the Jesus as Messiah at that point. 
And they said things like, truly, this is the prophet. This is the Christ. And I was wondering, you know, they, they believe in him as Messiah, but does that mean they're believing in his divinity at that time? Or are they merely believing that this is a man who was who was um, promised? You know, when we go, we think back to the to the Old Testament uh, prophecies pointing to Jesus. Were they clear that the Messiah was going to be God himself? Um, and I suppose you can look at it. You know, we look at it now and we can recognize it. Uh, but at I the time. Say it's at me like I'm not confused about it, but hindsight. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we're tempering everything with the Gospels, with the writings of Paul and and Peter and John. And and, uh, you know, we have revelation to look back and we 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 understand clearly that Jesus was God. Uh, but were the people should the people have quite grasped that? I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I kind of suspect it was something that was intended to be revealed to them eventually that God it never occurred to me that they wouldn't yeah. have been expected to understand that. So it's you like, so you think maybe that as they are recognizing him as Messiah, that they are recognizing his divinity. They are recognizing that this is God in the flesh. You think you think that's what they're saying? Well, okay. I I'm not talking about these people in this moment. I'm talking about okay. in general. I don't think that God's that Jesus's divinity was ever intended to be hidden. I think it was intended to be understood by his people that he came to. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. No. And, and I'm not trying to say he's hiding. Well, when it says that many began to believe on him, I would say that they began to believe he was the Messiah. And so for them to have any kind of, uh, like, I, I feel like it took Christianity the next 1,200, 1,500, 2,000 years, whatever, to work out what that really meant. Um, but, and people fought over it and, you know, killed each other over it, et cetera. So, so, I, so I really feel like when it says that, what it's really saying is that they understood that this was the one who had been promised. And probably not much else, you know. Yeah. I don't know if that's important to say or not, but I, I, but I feel like it's a little bit important to say because they may not mean everything that we mean right now, having had the benefit of all of the theological discussions of the last couple thousand years and the writings of Paul and all that. Those folks that were there probably just thought, "Hey, wait, maybe this is the Messiah." Yeah, it's kind of what I'm saying too. What Amy was saying there about how people have acted over the centuries. All I can do is shake my head and and think, aren't we just amazing? Aren't we just a spectacular group of people like turning on each other like rabid animals and killing Uh each other over different religious beliefs and political beliefs? And (sighs) humanity's great. It's great. Mm. Love humans. Proud to be a human. So many are beginning to believe in Jesus as Messiah, I would assume, because we've been seeing, like they've said, um, you know, they've seen signs. They're hearing him speak. Um, I would assume that because they have probably had some study and they do have some sort of idea what to expect, that they are starting to be able to put two and two together a little bit here. 
But then there's others who doubt. They they do not think that this is the Messiah. They say Jesus is from Galilee, but Scripture says Christ comes from the seed of David and from Bethlehem. So that takes me back to that question of, but you said they don't know where he comes from. Um, <laughs> so, you know, they're even inconsistent. There's some inconsistency there even in what, what the people, maybe it's just the people don't know what to believe at this point. Maybe they haven't been studying enough, you know. But uh, it's funny because because ironically in saying that, they're like, no, 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 no. He's supposed to come from Bethlehem. And you're like, yeah, you just described Jesus. <laughs> you just described me. Ironically, you don't even know that you did it. Uh, and again, it says that some want to take him, but no one lays hands on him. So, you know, it, it's that picture again. And you wonder, what does it look like? People are angry. You know, when when a mob mentality gets started, you know they can they can make a mess, and yet they cannot seem or do not. You know, is it that they is it that they don't have enough conviction yet? Is it that they they are you know they're not like yeah he's causing problems, but he's not really worth our time yet. Uh, other than they say that they want to kill him, you know. But how is it that Jesus is able to? Just keep slipping away, slipping away, slipping away. Now, they had sent officers to go after Jesus. So they're trying. I mean, they're, they are doing something. And they're, they're, they're going like, okay, why haven't you arrested this guy? So they did. They did send people there. Why haven't you arrested this guy? And the officers come back and they said, no man ever spoke like this man. Uh, just Jesus, Jesus being able to speak is enough to dissuade these these officers from wanting to to arrest him and take him because they're probably they're probably hearing the words he's saying and they're thinking why are we arresting him and i think that would take a lot especially for officers mm -hmm. to go against what they were commanded to do you know what i mean so mm -hmm. they were convicted based on what they were they heard and it dissuaded them from their orders that's huge. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a military man, but I know enough about the military to know that when you're told to do something, you're supposed to do it. And, you know, even as I've watched enough cop shows to know that, you know, <laughs> if you if you if you're told to go arrest somebody, you go arrest them because it's not your job to it's not supposed to be your job to judge whether they've done something right or wrong. It's your job to go put handcuffs on them and put them in the car, you know, yep, it's out of your pay grade. Mm-hmm. Like I, yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, that's why these levels of things exist is so that it doesn't all have to fall on one person. But these guys hear this guy, they, they're hearing Jesus speak and they're like, they're just going, why? This doesn't make any sense at all. And I guess they go back and the, the Pharisees are like, why didn't you, why didn't you do what we told you to do? And they're like, well, because, because nobody talks like this guy. Everything he says makes sense. <laughs> It, he, he, he's, you know, because, you know, when we think about the things he's talked about, what has he talked about? He's talking about peace. He's talking about love. He's talking about healing. We know that everything we've seen him do has been in, in that context of peace and love and healing. And you don't, we never see him, except for maybe one time at the temple, we never see him express any kind of violence. We, he certainly isn't calling people to violence. He's telling people, love your enemies. And and so yeah, for for these officers, he's going. But 
why it does no it doesn't make any sense and uh and 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 the pharisees like what are you deceived is they say none of the religious elite believe in jesus um (laughs) which maybe is not a great endorsement (laughs) right you know even 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 sometimes today it's not a great endorsement um you know i mean jesus is there he's he's combating religion pretty hard really uh, you know, and I, I mean religion in the in the formal sense of of you know total dogma is what he's combating. Mm-hmm. He's combating the empty routine that people are so drawn to because they can feel like they did all the right things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's trying to engage people's hearts, and in order to do that, he has to get rid of all their routines. Yeah, and the Pharisees' response to 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 that is is exactly that because they say. This crowd does, that does not know the law is accursed. Basically, this crowd that isn't following the traditions, this crowd that isn't doing the rules, this crowd that isn't, they're, they're listening to him, and they act like they don't know what they're supposed to do. They're accursed is the words that they're using here. Um, uh, yeah, so the dogma, they're, they're, not, they're not just blindly following that dogma anymore, and the Pharisees can't stand that. Well, they're like the kings of dogma, so, yeah. <laughs> kings of dogma. That sounds like a book title or maybe a movie, Kings of Dogma. It's almost <laughs> a Pink Floyd song. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, well, we see a, a, a familiar face at this point of the story. Nicodemus speaks up. Doesn't remember if you remember Nicodemus is the man who G- Jesus famously told him the most famous, um, the, the, the most known b- verse of the I'll Bible. Say. Yeah, so famous <laughs> that I, hello, uh, famously recited him the most. Co- you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Do you really? I would like you to keep trying because this is hilarious. <laughs> Famously recited him the most well-known verse in the Bible. How's that? You recited it to him? Yes. Yes. (laughs) He told him. He told him. John 3.16 says. Gotta do it. (laughs) Oh, gracious. Jesus told Nicodemus, John 3.16 saith. No. But that would be just mourning people at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I think I'm better at this in the morning. (laughs) Too much study at this. (laughs) (laughs) But Nicodemus is the man who was taught about uh, 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 being born again, uh, was taught that basic phrase of God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. See, I can say the verse. (laughs) That's who Nicodemus is. And we know that at that point, Nicodemus met Jesus in private. And now Nicodemus is speaking up a bit. And he says, does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? That's pretty huge for Nicodemus to speak up here. Uh, Yeah. I mean, he's not specifically coming out and 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 defending Jesus, but he is certainly showing a distaste for the way that they are treating him uh, and wanting to condemn him. I mean, I get the impression that if the Pharisees, if it was in their power to do it, 
uh, and if it were Jesus's time, <laughs> that they would stone Jesus in the street. They would they would cut him down. They would quietly take him away and disappear him. You know, um, that sort of thing. And Nicodemus knows this that they would they would quickly condemn him with no trial with nothing other than other than uh, the saith the Pharisees type of thing. Well, so he uses um, he uses their own procedure. Like he points out that they're not even offering basic procedure to this guy. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. and they say to him, like their comeback is interesting. They say, are you from Galilee, too? Look into it. You will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Mm hmm. So there's the reputation of his old stomping grounds again. Mm hmm. Yeah, they're they're trying to make they're now they're trying to make Nicodemus sort of guilty by his association to Jesus, or even just by by even the slightest hint of of defending this man who's who is is challenging their position. Um, and now they want to they want to stick him in it too. They want to put him lump him into that. What are you from Galilee too? You know, what is, you know, they'll do what they can now to try to ruin his reputation. And it's, it's really is kind of ironic that Nicodemus is having to do this because he's pointing out that these keepers of the law, quote unquote, are neglecting basic judicial protocol. They are, you know, they're supposed to be the ones who toe the line on everything. But yet in this case, they're just sort of ignoring all of that. It's kind of fascinating, but this uh, we see it happen a lot. We see it happen today. It's sort of a, a nature that that we have of uh, if we don't necessarily like what somebody is saying or doing, and somebody dares to to defend them even in the slightest, then they're then they're cut down. Like this is a moment to say, John wrote John three sixteen down. But Nicodemus told him what Jesus had said in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, you know, we, we are remembering that these stories come to us from the ones who then became his believers. And they must have gotten together after the fact, you know, when they're in the upper room and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. After the resurrection, they're talking and they're remembering, you know what he said to me? Oh, this is how I first realized that he was the Messiah. This is, you know, what happened. And, um, so anyway, I was just thinking about that. Yeah. That's a nice way to think about that. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't necessarily stop to think about it. You know, you hear me say something silly like Jesus recites a phrase, you know, that <laughs> is very popular. <laughs> but but considering where John got it, because we have no indication that John was in the room. And so, yeah, it must be that Nicodemus was telling him this later. I love, you know, Nicodemus, I, I really love Nicodemus just because he was there in that position of power, but he's just kind of quietly supporting Jesus, you know, and obviously now, like from what you said, you know, even past into the early church, he's he's there and he's probably a major com- contributor, uh, possibly financially and um you know, and and just in a, in a moral support fashion. Um, in, in some supplemental readings that I've done, it basically said, well, Nicodemus was there for Jesus during his time on earth and didn't 
like follow him, but took a, a, a keen interest in what he was doing and observing it that he actually did become a main contributor in the early church, financing it and keeping it going. Mm-hmm. Basically, to I think if I'm not mistaken, don't quote me on this, but literally that's where all his money went, all his all the riches that he acquired, he basically put into the keeping the first churches going. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I really, I do like him a lot. Like, you know, even if at this point he isn't a specific supporter of Jesus, he is still open-minded enough. He's, he's contemplating it. He's thinking about it, considering it. I appreciate that, that way of thinking and coming to conclusions. I mean, you know, the quick, the quick realization and jumping on the, on board is great too. But I think a lot of times having the slow burn into realization Mm -hmm. makes it stick a little harder. I think that's the human component. Exactly what you mentioned. It's like, you know what? I might've missed the, I might've missed the the beginning of the train when it first took off, but you know what? I got on board, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that's, Mm -hmm. that's how Jesus's mission was. It's like, you know what? You might not get in on the ground level, but there's always room. Not required to. Yep, exactly. Yep. There's always room. There's always yeah. room. Yeah. You you know, even if on this train you get on the caboose, you're still you're still you still made it. You're still on the train. Yeah. You're gonna get you're gonna get the same place as everybody else. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I yes. think that's what we all live for, and I think that's what we all should strive for. It's like like you said, it's it's a slow burn. It's you know, and, and I look at Nicodemus's you know, with his position and everything else, was it a little bit, was there hesitation? You know, I can, I can feel for the guy. It's like, you know, at this point, the status that I have, worldly status, you know, mm-hmm. and to seeing all the, the trials and tribulations that Jesus went through on the mission, it's like, but then to come around and go, you know what, it what he was, he was a son of God. Mm-hmm. This was his mission. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think that's maybe why I like him so much is because, you know, he's, he is, at least he's open-minded. He is defending Jesus at least enough to speak out against the way the other Pharisees are treating him. He, at this point, I mean, you know, when you're going to speak out like this, you're, you're setting your reputation aside a little bit, you know, this would be a, probably a way for Nicodemus to get ostracized a bit. Uh, who knows what his relationship remained like with the Pharisees? Jesus was like that a lot of times too, where he would he would speak out and wouldn't necessarily worry too much about what what those elites were saying. I'm not sure if Nicodemus is quite to that point here, but he is definitely willing to at least step up and try to make sure that the right thing is getting done. He's a cool guy. Any other thoughts on John chapter 7? That is going to wrap up the chapter for us. Next week, we will pick up John chapter 8. See what's going on there. And I see a whole lot of red letters in John chapter 8. So I have a feeling we're going to have a lot to talk about there. So remember, you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, share the podcast with your friends and family and neighbors, and we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.